Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Rebecca F., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, January 2nd, 2018, and this is our 7 a.m. Eastern Time meeting. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are in Chapter 1, Bill's Story on page 11, the third paragraph. We will be reading and commenting on two paragraphs this morning, beginning with, but my friend sat before me, and ending with, and this was none at all. Today's readers are Esther F., Mary G., Du L., Penny C., and Rita K. Our newcomer greeter is Russ M., the reference number for yesterday's Monday, January 1st, 2018's 7 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 10859. That's 10859. And the reference number for yesterday's 10 a.m. Eastern Time Meeting is 10861. That's 10861. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Esther F. to read the 12 steps of OA. Good morning, everyone. This is Esther F., a compulsive overeater from Cleveland, Ohio. May I be heard? I hear you, but if you could speak up a little more, Esther F., that would be better. Okay. That's okay. better. I can tell. Thanks. Okay, good. Thank you. Okay, the 12 steps. Number one, we were powerless over food that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made the decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. 
7. Humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. 8. Made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. 9. Made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters to practice these principles in all their affairs, our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Esther F. I will now ask Mary G. to read the 12 Traditions of OA. Good morning. This is Mary G. in Rochester, New York, the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, the loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks for allowing me to do service today. Thank you, Mary G. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. And I'll be timing the shares and saying time if you get to three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. Today, we received, oh, I missed something here. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. 
Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book in Chapter 1, Bill's story on page 11, the third paragraph. We will be reading and commenting on two paragraphs, beginning with, But my friends sat before me, and ending with, And this was none at all. I will now ask Do L to read that for us. Good morning. Um, reads, but my friend sat before me, and he made the point-blank declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. His human will had failed. Doctors had pronounced him incurable. Society was about to lock him up. Like myself, he admitted complete defeat. Then he had, in effect, been raised from the dead, suddenly taken from the scrap heap to a a level of life better than the best he had known. Had this power originated in him? Obviously, it had not. There had been no more power in him than there was in in me at the time, and this was none at all. Um, Good morning. My name is uh, Du L, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, What I see here is, you know, Bill's having a really hard time, um, you know, accepting or even uh, coming to a conclusion of, you know, accepting a higher power uh, in his life. But yeah, he looks at this this um, this friend of his, which was Ebby Thasher, and and his friend said, you know, God had done for me what I couldn't do for myself, and he could see that. I mean, he could see the evidence of that because. Through um, Ebby's testimony, you know, human human power, he tried everything like him. You know, he, he tried every means to recover. He went to the doctors. He, he tried to see the best psychologists. He tried to see everything. And what happened is, you know, all the doctors have pronounced, just like Bill, have pronounced him incurable. And... Um, you know, Abby even went to jail, you know, and, and he was, he was a mess. And so they both can identify that they had admitted complete defeat, that this disease had ravished them. It had, um, and, and I love the, the description here, like scrap heat. And what's the scrap heat? It's a, a fragment that's useless. It's a, it's a thing that's thrown in a pile on top of one another. And that's what he described themselves as. And so, what did they need? They needed a power greater than themselves. And how could they, how could this come about? And he said, obviously it didn't originate from him. It didn't originate from any human power, any human will. Um, And he had to reach outside something deep within him, but out of him, you know, at the same time, it couldn't be anything that was human. um, If, if, you know, so the point is, you know, um, in the, in this is that in order to take step two or to move towards this higher power, you have to take a good thorough first step, which means you have to admit complete defeat. It, it has to be that you can't do it yourself anymore. Something outside of you 
has to do it for you. And it can't be anything human. It can't be you. It can't be any other human being. It can't be any human will. It can't be any human mechanism. It can't be human, period. Um, it has to be outside of you. And, and, you know, it says here that once that was taken, something incredible happened. A change started to happen. And, um, and so we need to look for that higher power in order to, to be able to, um, able to uh, do this. And with that, I pass. Thanks to Elle. Who else would like to share on these two paragraphs that you read? Lisa R. I heard Larry. Lisa R. And I And I heard Ro Ann. Vasa O. Vasa O. Rhonda, was it? Yes, Rhonda. Rhonda. I heard a Rhonda. One, two, three, four, five, six. Did I hear Minky? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to stop right. Penny C, was it? Okay, I'm going to stop right there because I'm already going over the recommended limit. So I have, and I didn't get last initials. You can just say them when you announce yourself, other than Nessa R. So Larry, I know yours is K. Harlan, G. Rowan, I don't remember. Vasa O, I know. Rhonda, Minky, and Penny C. Nessa R, go right ahead. Hi, good morning, vision for you. My name is Nessa R, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, what does it mean to um, admit complete defeat? For me, uh, to be able to admit complete defeat, I had to get to a place where being in the food was more painful than not being in the food, you know, because until I got to that point, food was always an option. And I've learned and I've heard uh, repeatedly in these realms that if food is an option, it will be the only option. So I had to get to the point where food could no longer be the solution. And until I got to that point, um, even though I was in these rooms, I couldn't stay abstinent. I couldn't stay abstinent because I just couldn't, I couldn't, I had nothing in me to push me to, um, to withstand the discomfort that abstinence brought, you know, because all the emotions surfaced. My only coping mechanism, my, the only thing that took off the edge, I either food, was gone. Uh, so I had to get to the point where the food was no longer taking off the edge, you know, and then, but then like, how was I going to deal with the discomfort of, of not being in the food? And that's where the steps came in. You know, once I took food off the table, no pun intended, as an option, uh, and I became abstinent, then I needed something to help me cope, something to teach me a new way of coping, a new way of dealing with life and challenges. And this is what the steps do. They give me another solution, or actually they it's, it, they op- it opens me up to another solution, which is God. Um, and the steps are the method uh, that get me there. So uh, that's what I have to share today, and I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. Larry K. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks so much for your service. This is Larry K. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Chicago. 
the um, there is, you know, the, the Bill talks about um, a great paradox here. Um, he talks about the fact that there was no more power in him than there was in you know in in in, in this person, and that was none at all, you know, and. That's a great paradox. What, what is a paradox? Because I, I have found there's lots of paradoxes in this program. At least there was for me. A paradox is a, a statement that on the face of it is seemingly contradictory or opposed to common sense, yet it's perhaps true. Here's one of them, powerlessness. That, I mean, I mean if, if, not, if you don't put the food down, for example, who's going to put it down on your behalf? Of course you have to put it down. That would, that would indicate that you have the power to put the food down. Yet we talk about that we're powerless over our food. That's a paradox. Because the reality is, and we've heard it said, that we're not helpless, right? That if I, I mean, I mean a heroin addict, you know, the, you know, the, the, the needle is, is, he has to put it down before he embarks on any sort of spiritual program of action. That's for sure. Same with us. And, and so for me, that's the great paradox here is that we, we are powerless. You know, I did not become recovered. Bill did not become recovered, brought to this state of being recovered without the help of a power greater than ourselves, something outside of ourselves. It just can't be me. It's a, because, because naturally it's a power greater than me. And that, that's, that, that was confusing for me because, you know, I was raised in a home where you, you just get it done. You know, we, we worshipped at the altar of, of intellect and education and getting it done. You take the action. And see, the paradox there for me is that then we're, we're, wherein lies the power? If I'm taking the action, don't I have the power? See, and that's what I came, what I came to learn in this program is I, I am not helpless. I, I can take actions. But that ultimately, with this malady, which was a spiritual malady, something I couldn't see or tangibly prove to anyone that I had a spiritual malady. How are you going to prove that? I just know that my life was a mess. I know that I couldn't stop eating. I tried. I could put the food down. I put it down thousands of times. I just couldn't stay stopped. And now I can stay stopped. Now I can have relationships. There's a great hope in the, in the surrender of just taking the action, day after day, the actions prescribed, without knowing what the outcome will be. That's a miracle. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Larry Kay. Harlan G. Thank you very much. Thanks and thanks to Team Tuesday for making this meeting possible. I'm Harlan G. and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. Let's take a look at what's happening here and let's remember, if we can, that Dr. Silkworth tells us in the doctor's opinion that in order for the message to be carried, it must have depth and weight. What does that mean? It means it has to be carried by someone who speaks and understands the language of the heart. Ebby Thatcher is a drunk. Bill knows this. This is no secret to Bill. 
Bill and Ebby had done a lot of drinking together. Ebby Thatcher was about to be locked up and he was about to be remanded to the insane, excuse me, insane asylum in Brattleboro, Vermont. Bill is aware of this. He is aware that Roland and Sebra Graves Jr. have interceded on his behalf and they have brought him to the Oxford Group meetings in New York City at the Cavalry Mission. And Bill is looking at Ebby. Now remember that he's experiencing, he's experiencing this drunk, but writing about it sober. And as he looks back, he says, but my friend sat before me and made the point-blank declaration that God had done for him what he could not do for himself. His human will had failed. Doctors had pronounced him incurable. Society was about to lock him up. Like myself, he identification. He had admitted complete defeat. So what is Bill seeing? He is seeing in Ebby the defeat, the deflation, and the humiliation that alcoholism has wrought into the life of Ebby. And Ebby is now sober. <clears throat> Did Ebby cause this? Absolutely not. Then he had an effect and raised from the dead. And that's what happens to us. Suddenly taken from the scrap heap to a level of life better than the best he had ever known. Another beautiful promise. Had this power originated in him? Obviously it had not. There had been no more power in him than there was in me at that moment. And this was none at all. So what is going to happen here today with us and, tomorrow, and for the rest of this week is Bill is going to see a bottom line. And the bottom line is this. God did for Ebby what Ebby could not do for Ebby. And Bill wants in. But he's still having some hard times justifying this solution in his mind because he prayed to God on hangover mornings and didn't seem to get relief. But here sat before him a miracle. He sat before him, here sat before him a miracle of recovery. And took all argument away from him. The argument was over. There is a solution, and it is a spiritual solution. And we'll go to the depth of it during the next few days. With that, I will pass. Thank you. Thanks, Harlan G. Rowan. Hi, my name is Rowan M. I'm calling from Manhattan. <clears throat> Gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. Um, I love this paragraph. Basically, what we have here is we're describing a spiritual experience because we have someone who has admitted complete defeat and he knows that he has no other options at this point. And he's talking about hitting his bottom and coming up from the, from the dead. And I know that for me, that's what I had to experience a level of pain where I was not, where the level of pain had to be greater than my level of discomfort so that I was willing to experience discomfort that I wasn't willing to experience prior so that I could 
stop the pain. The pain was too great for me. I was unwilling to experience the pain that was being caused by the abuse from the food. I was killing myself with the food a day at a time. And it got to a point where I just couldn't do it anymore. And I, and I know that after everything that I've tried to stop myself from eating, that the, that the way that I'm living today is not because of my doing. And it, it took me a long time to really understand this concept. The power is not from me. It's not me controlling. It's not me imposing my willpower. Um, I'm very, very powerless over the food. I'm very powerless over this disease. The verbiage in this book, every time I read it, it hits me so hard. It's like, sometimes I feel like I'm being slapped almost because it's so, it's so intense. I mean, raised from the dead, suddenly taken from the scrap heap to a level of life better than the best he'd ever known. I mean, it's so, it really hits you. I had admitted complete defeat. I was incurable. God had done for him what he could not do for himself. I really thought that I was hopeless. This book uses the word hopeless infinite times. It uses the word willingness. It uses the word honesty. It uses the word um, time. Oh, time. Okay. Well, thank you so much for letting me share. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Rowan and Vasa. Oh. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Rebecca, for your service, and good morning, everyone. I'm Vasa, grateful, recovered, compulsive reader, calling from Florida. And I can identify so much with this paragraph, except Bill was talking about his alcohol and I was with the food. But my friend, he talked about Abby, my friend Diane, that before me, and she made the point blank declaration that God had done for her what he couldn't, what what the, what she couldn't do for her for herself, and uh, and I identified because uh, again she struggled with the food. She had found a program. I hadn't seen her for a while. She came to visit me, and I liked what I saw. I was shocked to see her. You know, lost the weight. She looked wonderful, and and she did say that, you know, we have to find a power greater than ourselves, and at that time, I had admitted I was powerless over the food addiction, 150%, you know. Uh, I had no doubt about it, and she didn't have to talk me into it. I diagnosed myself. I, you know, I felt like powerless, and I felt helpless, too at the same time. And this is where I, they're talking about the bottom. I had hit bottom. This was my last hope. This was my last place. If this didn't work, 
and I was just going to die miserable, fat and miserable. And, uh, yeah, the doctors gave me diets, and I heard, you know, I went to the Weight Watchers, I did to help bars, I did all those things, but nothing worked. I could put the food down just for a little while, but I could never keep it down. And um, I was ready, and I was willing to, I, I remember saying, I'm ready and willing to surrender to the 12 steps, the program, a higher power, whatever it is, I will. I just want, I want freedom from this. And then, you know, this is, uh, you know, where I was, and this is what has worked for me over the years. I never stopped doing what I'm doing. And I'm just so, so grateful that I have found a power greater than myself, that I try to use my own power, my own willpower to do, to put the food down. It didn't work. And I used that power for other things in my area, but it started with the food. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. Rhonda, you're next. Rhonda, star one to unmute. Hello? Can you hear me? Is, is this Rhonda? Wanda, Wanda, W. Oh, Wanda. I beg your pardon. Hi, Wanda. Hi. No, I never talked before on this program, but I listened to it, but um, I... I'm in OA since uh, November 1975, and I've been abstinent since March 10th, 1985, and I, um, I work my program pretty hard, and now I have to work it even harder because I, I'm in dialysis, and it's very, it's hell. It, it's just hell, and... Um, the food is not an answer, and um, I watched Harlan lose 500 pounds, and he sat across. He stood across for me, sat across for me, and uh, you know, if he can do it, I can do it. And I didn't have a lot of weight to lose, but I was bulimic for 14 years, and um, I got abstinent, and I, I. It was hard, but I made it, and uh, now I cannot turn to food. I have to make sure that, uh, you know, I get to meetings because I see my higher power in the group, and I see, I pray every day. I, I, I ask for help, and that's the major thing that is getting me through right now and love, you know, loving people, trying to help them, trying to go out of my way and do 12-step work and uh, working my program and, um, you know, being grateful. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm just so glad that um, I'm still alive and, um you know, that, that I'm doing the best I can. And I went to a marathon of meetings yesterday on New Year's Day. And, um, 
you know, I needed every single one of them, and uh, I I can't get to as many meetings as I want to because of dialysis. But um, I'm I'm gonna, you know, just keep reading, doing all the tools, and working the steps. You know, I know the steps backwards and forwards, and um, you know, I I know that. If Harlan can do it, I can do it. If Larry can do it, I can do it. And um, if Roseanne S. did it, I can do it. And uh, Roseanne had a part where she where she uh, stopped being abstinent for a while. I cannot do that because I don't know if I have another recovery in me. Um, I know I have another relapse, but I'm but I'm abstinent and uh moving forward i pass wanda what's the first initial of your last name r r thanks rhonda r minky w hi good morning rebecca thank you for your service this is minky w from new york grateful to be on the line so um this is incredible and i just want to echo what everybody has said that um Bill saw a miracle in front of him, and Bill saw somebody who had the same problem as himself, and God had done for him what he could not do for himself. And when I came into the rooms, I, you know, saw people, and I heard people on this line that God did for them what they could never, ever do for themselves, and I wanted what they had, and I knew that if God can do it for them, then God can do it for me. And it's taken time, and it's been like small chunks that God did for me, what I could never do for themselves. And I don't want to say small chunks, actually. It's like been my entire recovery that God held me by my hand and did for me what I could never do for myself. I've tried so hard in so many areas of my life to pull myself up by my bootstraps and make myself my own higher power and make other people my higher power and slowly and continuously and consistently, God is continuously doing for me what I could never, ever do for myself. And he brought me from the scraps to a level of life better than the best that I could ever have known. And I'm so glad to be part of this experience. And I pass. Thanks, Minky W. Penny C. Is the Thank name you so much, Rebecca, but it was someone else who sounded oh. like the. Thank you so much, Denise. I think is the other Denise. person is. Could you repeat your name? Denise. Denise C. Okay. Yes. Sorry, I didn't get it right, but Denise, it is your turn. Thank you so much for your service, and thank you for allowing me to share. I'm Denise C., a compulsive overeater, and I am in recovery. Uh, This paragraph I love. Uh, I started with this program a little over 50 days ago, and I have a sponsor, and I was told how many times Bill talked about I, I, I doing his story. But in these two paragraphs, there's not one I listed in there because Bill himself had admitted that he was completely defeated. He never said I in these sentences, and he saw before him someone 
that had that was a miracle. He saw before him someone who had declared that God had done for him what no one could that he could not do for himself. And that's what God has done for me in these last 53 days. He has done for me what I could not do for myself. I tried everything that was out on the market as far as trying to lose weight. And I was always told by friends and family members that you don't have enough willpower. And I was so grateful to find out that it wasn't willpower that I didn't have. It was an illness that I did have. And I learned that through my sponsor. I underlined in here there has been no more power in him than there was in me at that moment, and that was none at all. I, I, I love that because it's not what's in me. It's, it's what's in, in my higher power that I call God, and God is the one that sustains me. And I also learned that I don't have to run this battle a week, a month, a year at a time. I only have to run it one day at a time. And I do believe that I have enough faith in my God that he can sustain me for one day. I wake up getting on this line. I was told about this line by my, my, my sponsor. And I wake up and I get on this line and I hear the experience, strength, and hope. I listen to the special edition and I listen to Larry and I listen to um, Harlan G. And I just love the way they share their experience, strength, and hope because it has given me what I need to get through a day. And I'm constantly on this line. This is my first time, as I said, speaking. But I know and I can attest to the fact that God has done for me what I could not do for myself for 52 years. And I'm so grateful that I found this program. I wish I would have found it years ago. But as they say, the teacher is there when the student is ready. So God was always waiting in the wings for me. He was just waiting for me to be ready. And thank God that I found OA. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Denise C. Before I take more names, I want everyone to know what we read this morning. And it's page 11, the third paragraph, beginning with, but my friend sat before me for two paragraphs, ending with, and this was none at all. Who else would like to share on these two paragraphs? Barbara Hold on one second. Hold on one second. I heard Barbara... I think it's E, and then I heard um um um. Melissa C. Yes, Melissa C. Thank you. And then um. Lisa B. Okay, I remember hearing Leah M. And uh, Lisa B. I'm going to put you as fifth. I don't know if we have enough time though, so let's go with that. Barbara E. Melissa C. Sarah W. Leah M. And Lisa B. And I think there was somebody else. I'm sorry. I, I couldn't keep track. Barbara E., please go ahead. Thank you so much for your service. I appreciate all of you out there. Uh, this is Barbara E. from New Jersey, cold, cold New Jersey. Being in the food was indeed more painful for me than anything I could have ever imagined. And when I came into OA, Two decades ago, I was in total despair and defeat. I was hopeless. There was nothing left for me. I felt I was going to die because of my compulsive overeating, and I had young children, and I had no hope for life for me. But 
I've always felt, for me, the best teachers that I've ever had laid out their lesson plan clearly before they began their lesson. And here was a plan. All I had to do do was hope and pray that the teacher would follow his, her, its plan clearly and I would be able to take notes, reread, digest, reread it again, and learn from the text and the teacher. I heard the words scrap heap in our reading today, but maybe, just maybe, I could be put in not the scrap heap, but the recycling bin so that I could be repurposed into something better than I was. Page 517 in the big book says, I believe we get more than one moment of grace from God, but it is us to, it is up to us to seize the moment by taking action. I did not need it knowledge. I needed a, a solution. I needed a solution. No one but people like you who'd been hopeless really understood for me what it felt like to just merely exist. And it came out by in me by searching for every single excuse, every single loophole not to admit that I could not control the food. I could not control life. God spoke to me so many times, but I wasn't willing, able, ready to hear it. I had to walk the walk I walked before I walked into OA. I had to take all those food programs and all those strange diets and do them and fail time after time. But two decades later, I celebrated my 21st New Year's Eve abstinent in this program at a weight I could live with, working one day at a time, praying to my higher power for guidance so that I could be a better, kinder, tolerant, more tolerant person. Thank you. Just for one more day until I get to the 7 a.m. meeting tomorrow. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. Melissa C. Hi, good morning. It's Melissa C. I don't know if you, I was unmuting. I'm not sure if you called me, but. um, I did, Melissa. Okay, good. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you, Rebecca, for your service. Melissa C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. And, you know, so what did God do for me that I could not do for myself? I think um, that's a really a good talking point, especially, you know, now in like the new year. When um, there's people who are, you know, once again looking to get free of the obsession, to get free of the negative effects of having this disease. And, you know, so what I want to say to people today is what God did for me that I could not do for myself was remove the obsession. I mean, forget all the other incredible miracles that have to transform my life. That was the one that I could never believe until it happened to me, that it could actually happen to me. You know, because did God did God make me lose weight? 
I don't know. I've done it. I've done it hundreds of times, you know. And um, and every time I did it, then um, it was the diet. You know, it was the diet that I was putting all my faith in. The diet transformed me. And then, and it was me. You know, it was all my power. I had great willpower, and that that was what I um, relied on. You know, when it was just a diet. And um, but what's occurred that's so different this time is yes, weight loss, which, you know, um, let's face it, that that's what I wanted. That's really what got me to come because I wanted to lose weight. But um, to be relieved of the obsession, to be at holidays and holiday celebrations and host a New Year's party um, and not want to eat outside of my food plan, you know, is miraculous. That could not happen by my own power. I could not force myself not to want something, not to desire something anymore. The only way that I could describe that and and explain it is it had to come from a power greater than me. How could I stop myself from wanting something? And yet, when it happens to you, it is the great miracle. You know, it's... um, to clean up at the end of a party, you know, without any resentment, to package away foods that once owned me. I used to live for the moment when the guests would go home and I could clean the kitchen um, in solitude so I could eat everything. And to not, to notice the food, but notice that it no longer calls me, that's what God did for me. And, um, And if it can happen to me, it can happen to any one of you. Thank you. Without that, Thanks, Melissa C. Sarah W. Good morning, Rebecca. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Sarah W. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Iowa. I love this uh, part of the book. Um, it's where we really start to see the recovery and um the idea came to me um, that if someone is in the food right now, whether they be in relapse or just beginning, there's no shame in that. If it's a disease, uh, it's really about our willingness uh, to be here and if we're willing to uh, cooperate with um, the, the process of the program, which is the steps, it will all work its way into a healing, healthy recovery. And, of course, for me, it's always been about the layers of the onion. You know, we always go deeper and deeper in recovery. You know, some of us have been around for a long time, have been through relapse, and every experience that I have had has brought me to a place where I've been educated more, where I've learned more, where I've had spiritual moments that have taught me uh, more than I could have learned if I hadn't made the mistakes that I did make. So for one thing, I want to say there's no shame um, as far as uh, the addiction. Uh, Also, acknowledging my need for help is is about the humility, and that takes a lot of courage, um, especially in this program. It's not an us and them, the recovered versus the unrecovered. It's about we're all in it together, you know, kind of like we're in it to win it. And I'm powerless, but I'm not helpless. But as I said, I need to cooperate. I need to cooperate with 
the steps. I need to cooperate with this power greater than myself. And I need to step out of the road thinking that I can control not only the food, but that I can control other people, that I can control everything in my life. And my disease is really about the fact that I didn't want to live life on life's terms. And once I start to cooperate and allow whatever the outcomes are to be and to make the most of it, that's where recovery really started to feel fresh and happy, joyous and peaceful. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. Leah M. Thank you very much. You know, these paragraphs are very powerful to me because they um, emphasize the identification process and why it's so important. Um, You know, Bill had always heard from superior beings, (laughs) an irate boss, a nagging wife, you know, perhaps an intimidating police officer, a judge, a clergy, uh, you know, this is what you should do, this is what you need to do. This is one alcoholic talking to another. You know, they they used to drink together. And this is where the identification process is so powerful and so tender and so touching. You know, those of us in whom the problem had been solved, <laughs> we're not, uh, you know, selected, there's no special committee here, you know, we don't have any uh, credentials, so to speak. We were crushed. I was crushed. Uh, The big book says that our dark past is the greatest possession we have. In fact, it says it's the key to life and happiness for others, and I owe you my life, and I owe you the greatest possession that I have, which is the fact that I used to uh, be crushed by this illness, uh, and I no longer live that way. I no longer live that way. And I certainly had other dreams for myself than to be on this line every morning or put in the hours that I lovingly spend in service behind the scenes. I have a husband with his own business. I have a large family, uh, 12 children to be exact. But, you know, we are the living proof when we talk to newcomers that some power greater than ourselves has restored us to sanity that some power greater than ourselves and nothing should be even more uh, powerful than, than perhaps a line like this where you might have almost 400 people wrapping the globe. We don't have the privilege of knowing each other uh, individually perhaps, but some power in our individual lives has restored us to sanity. I look at it like pieces of a mosaic that when put together, we form a picture of hope. Hopefully every day it's it's a song of hope. Now, certainly I'm not, I'm, I'm necessary, but I'm not sufficient in, to make a change uh, for someone. I can be a catalyst. There are hundreds who listen. Do all of them recover? No, not all of them recover. Why not? They all listen to the same words every morning. Because my words have to hit something in an individual to provoke a change, to provoke a response. And that's not my business. That's your own self-destruction and your own self-defeat. You know, in the face of collapse and despair, in the face of total failure of my human resources, I found a new power, a new sense of direction after I met a few simple requirements. We call those the 12 Steps of Recovery. Thank you. I pass. 
Thank you, Leah M. Lisa B., there's plenty of time. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your service. My name is Lisa B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. And thank you for everyone that has shared this morning. Um, The word that jumps out for me is incurable. And that means untreatable. In other words, I'm screwed. And um, he is sharing his step one experience as he's reflecting back. He says, like myself, he had admitted complete defeat. And, you know, we so often hear everyone rattle so many times regularly in a good way on these uh, phone meetings that, you know, we have to be out of ideas. And I really need to get from my head to my heart what that really, really means. What does it mean to be out of ideas? And, you know, it tells us in this wonderful big book um, that many pursue it into the gates of insanity or death. And that's what's waiting for me. That is what's waiting for me. That is my reality. That is my truth every day. If I don't live all 12 steps, on a regular basis, see, the wonderful 12 steps are created to fill in the holes where other alcoholics were falling through when they were just doing the six tenets of the Oxford group. So Bill, um, divinely inspired, and other members, you know, we, we have now these 12 steps, and they're there for a reason. And that 12 step, oh, my goodness, is such a gift. What a gift. Because I get reminded every day, you know, of what's waiting for me, and I get reminded how to live these steps, how to work these steps. Um, just I see myself, you know, in the other people that I'm working with. And when I think of uh, Incurable, this book, you know, it tells me in the doctor's opinion that these men what may well have a remedy for thousands of such situations. And then this book also tells me that this is a spiritual remedy. And I have to stop fighting it. And I could stop debating it. And, you know, the other thing is it doesn't have to take a long time. It doesn't have to be a hard arduous process and we don't have to keep relapsing you know recovery can i can be recovered on a permanent basis one day at a time as long as i accept who and what i am and live these steps every day and that's why working with others that's why keeping my conscious contact all through the day and that's why the 10th step is so vital for me because it keeps that channel open it keeps that connection open to that power that I so desperately need. But every day, you know, I sponsor because of remembering step one. I live in step 11 because of remembering my step one. And I do 10 steps because of remembering my first step. So step one is always there for me. But I'm so grateful for this remedy that is here for me, that works with all my problems, all my problems. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Lisa B. With one minute to spare, uh, this is Rebecca F., and I am a compulsive overeater. Thank you all so much for bringing these two paragraphs to life for me and all of us on the line, like Leah said, almost 400 people um, here this morning. And I was just thinking about how if Eddie had come to Bill at some other point in time, he might not have been receptive. So... It reminds me of what do they say about a rainbow that three different things have to be positioned in a certain place in order for you know the viewer being one to see the rainbow and I believe the same thing happened for me that I wasn't ready until I was ready and then when I was I was introduced to all of you and you are my Ebby and I'm just so grateful And with that, I'll pass. 
and I will be the last person to share for this first hour. But of course, we have two more hours to go today for sharing. So thank you everyone for your participation in this meeting and for the opportunity to be of service. The reference number for this meeting, Tuesday, January 2nd, 2018, 7 a.m. Eastern Time is 10864. That's 10864. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Penny C. please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only to the end of the page. Yes, thank you, Rebecca. My name is Penny C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from the Boston area. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.